the Luke 13, six through nine. I'll, the short little story that Jesus tells, I'll give you a little bit of the context in a little bit, but first, uh, this, is, this is what it says. Uh, then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll, I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. We'll go that far. That's it. That's, that's the story. Guy looks, his vineyard, his fruit. This fruit-bearing tree is not bearing fruit. It's like three years. Why is it taking up ground? Cut it down. Chop it down. And the gardener's like, well, hold on. Just, just wait a second. Let me dig around a little bit and I'll, I'll fertilize it and then we'll see what happens. Isn't that a good story? So whenever we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation or an uncomfortable place, something weird happens to us. Have you ever been in an unfamiliar place or an uncomfortable place? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's actual place. Sometimes it's a virtual online place. Sometimes it's a familiar place surrounded by people that you're like, I don't know about this. And when we find ourselves in an uncomfortable place like that, we, we have a certain reaction. We, sometimes we get really defensive, right? Our, our, our senses are heightened. We become suspicious of the people around us. It's that old fight or flight instinct inside of us. It's a very real thing, and we've all felt it, whether in a real actual space or, or we find ourselves online in a virtual space, and we're reading and encountering things and ideas that make us uncomfortable, right? It just feels. We get defensive. Maybe even turn that into an offensive posture. About a decade ago, I found myself in India. I traveled there with a missionary named Lynn Gann, wonderful woman. Uh, about the middle of our trip, uh, I remember promising Renee and the boys that I was going to call her in the morning. So morning here in the States, late at night on the other side of the world in India. So we were in this city uh, called Valor, and these cities don't look anything like the cities. There. It's, it's way different, okay? It's much darker, and it's packed. So I walk out of the hotel where we were staying, and I was going to use the the international phone booth where you could make international calls on the other side of the street, but it was occupied by one of the other dudes we were traveling with. So I decided, you know what? I'll just take a walk all by myself and I'll find another one all alone in this strange place. So it's dark. I start taking a walk. And as the, the further away I get from the hotel where we were staying, the more anxious I got, the more nervous I got. 
cars and trucks and little auto rickshaws. They're like these little weird things that they use for taxis or just buzzing by me. There's no sidewalk. You're walking on the street. The smell of diesel fuel is thick in the air and it just stinks. So I'm looking around at all the people who surround me. I'm getting more anxious and more anxious the farther away I get. And it feels like every other person on the street, which is packed, their eyes are fixed on me. The tall white guy in Western clothes. How did I feel? I didn't even know I had this inside me. All of a sudden, so this is one of those dragons that my uncle was talking about last week. All of a sudden, all of these people who surrounded me with brown skin became my enemies. And I started thinking, oh my goodness, they want to hurt me. They want to take advantage of me. I even had visions in my brain of what I would do if I were attacked. As I was walking in the middle of the street in a strange place, it's amazing how irrational your brain can get when you're surrounded by people who are different from you. You just feel scared. It's like, where does that come from? Oh. So Jesus and his disciples, they're walking from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. This is the part of Luke's gospel where this is happening. They're traveling through Samaria. They're traveling through enemy territory, which means they're surrounded by people who are different than they are. Their fight or flight instincts, they can feel it in their bodies. They're anxious. Stories about what Samaritans do to Jews dance in their brains. There was occasional violence and bloody encounters. A guy named Josephus, who was a contemporary of Jesus, records a story about how some Samaritans killed a group of Galileans who were traveling through Samaria to Jerusalem. Then the Jews sent a couple of groups and attacked some towns in Samaria in retaliation. So this was a thing. They knew this was a possibility. It was out there, and it was very real. So now Jesus, perhaps thinking and sensing their anxiousness, he could probably sense that fight-or-flight instinct happening within their bodies as they make their way through Samaria. He stops, and he tells them a story. And it's a story that goes a little bit like this. So there was an owner of a vineyard, and he walks out into his vineyard, and he's checking on this tree, expecting it to bear fruit. That's what it's supposed to do. But he doesn't find anything on it. So he goes to his gardener and he says, for three years, I've been looking at this tree and it hasn't given us any fruit. Chop it down. Cut it off. Cut it out. Why should it take up soil? And then the gardener looks at the owner of the vineyard and says, just hold on. Leave it alone. Give me a year. I'll, I'll dig around in the soil and I'll fertilize it. And uh, let's just see what happens. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll bear some fruit next year. That's it. That's the story. 
You know, if we're paying any attention at all to this little story, I think it, it should stop us in our tracks. Chop it down. Cut it down. So the, the violence in those words ought to make us stop and look in the mirror. Because those words reflect something back to us that's inside of each and every one of us. Think of it this way. We as, as human beings, we tend to be all too impatient and all too willing to cut people off, to cut people down. I mean, especially us Jesus people, right? I mean, God's on our side. We believe that God is alive and active in this world and that God is up to something in the world and he's invited us in on the action. And when we see something wrong in the world, whether it's in the world or even inside the church, we fly into action. We want to right the wrong, don't we? We want to, we want to confront the sin and take out the wickedness. Right? That's sort of the reputation that we've built for ourselves. We come across something that offends us some person who is useless to us or the kingdom of God. They're just sort of taking up ground. We lose patience. And we either physically or verbally cut them down, cut them off, get rid of them, cut it down, cut him down, cut her down. She doesn't belong. They don't belong. Here's what I mean in its simplest form. Someone does or says something that we don't agree with. Someone does or says something that maybe even hurts us. What's our first instinct? The very first instinct. We become defensive instantly. And sometimes we turn that defensive posture into an offensive posture. And so we retaliate. We verbally chop down either two people's faces or behind their backs in the form of gossip. It's what we do. Let's just be honest about that. Can we be honest about that? Eugene Peterson says this, <laughs> we solve kingdom problems by amputation. Let that one sink in for you. We solve kingdom problems by amputation. He goes on. Internationally and historically, killing is the predominant method of choice to make the world a better place. It's the easiest, quickest, most efficient way by far to clear ground for someone or something with more promise. But then Jesus shows up, drops this little parable on us out of nowhere. In a quiet voice, Jesus says, hold on, not so fast. Wait a minute. Give me more time. Let me dig around in the soil and I'll fertilize it. And then let's see what happens. So let's stop right there for a moment. When you hear the word fertilizer, um, what do you think of immediately? Can I take a guess? Scott's turf builder? Like the granulated stuff? Some of you ag people are like, uh-uh, you know where I'm going. But honestly, most of the time we hear the word fertilizer, we think of Scott's Turf Builder, the granulated stuff that you get in a bag at Home, Home Depot or Lowe's or Menards in Ames, woo! 
right? And you put it in your cute little spreader and you walk around your lawn and you spread it and with a little sunshine and a little water and a few days you get a lush green lawn and it's like magic. Well, this is 2019. We have Scott's Turf Builder. This is 2,000 years ago. What did they have? Animal feces. Manure. Greek word is poop. <laughs> it's not. That was a lie. Just be honest about it. They have manure. So we're talking about manure. Hold on. Not so fast. I'm going to dig around for a little while. I'm going to fertilize it. Then we'll see what happens. They have manure. Manure isn't much fun to work with. Anybody worked with manure before? Go ahead, raise your hand. Is it fun? Are you like, yay, manure? When we lived in Michigan, I had this problem with my lawn. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't figure it out. Scott's Turf Builder wasn't doing the job. So I went to the local co-op and I said, what do I do? They gave me a big bag of chicken poop. That was not fun. I put that thing in the trunk of my car, forgot about it, <laughs> left it there for a couple of days, and then I remembered, oh no, that stayed in there for a long time. And then I had to spread it on my yard. Manure. It's not fun. It's not easy. You have to dig in the ground, and you have to, you can't just sprinkle it. You got to dig it into the ground, into the soil. It's hard work. It's slow work. It takes patience. It's not a quick fix. In a quiet voice, Jesus says, hold on. His disciples are in an unfamiliar place with people who are perceived as enemies, whom they would want to cut down, whom they fear are going to cut them down. He says, hold on. Wait a minute. Leave it alone. Let's work some manure into the soil, and let's see what happens. So the 1960s, Birmingham, Alabama was the most thoroughly segregated city in the, in the nation. So it's ugly record of police brutality, as well as its treatment of African Americans within the court system uh, was known all, all across the nation. It was horrible. At that time, there were more unsolved bombings of African American churches and homes than in any other city uh, in, in America. It's almost as if the political leaders in, those, in, in the city of Birmingham just sort of turned a, turned a blind eye to it. And because of that, African-American leaders tried hard to negotiate with the political leaders, but the people with power decided that they weren't going to listen. Eventually, over time, they did take a step towards the African-American community, and they said they would take down the humiliating signs, you know, the ones that we've all heard of, above drinking fountains and bathrooms and in buses. They would take those down. Well, after a while, the weeks and months continued, they realized that they were victims of broken promises. You might say that those political leaders and community leaders were fig trees, and their promises were fig trees, but they were not bearing any fruit. Here's what one African-American leader had to say. Like so many experiences of the past, we were confronted with blasted hopes. And the dark shadow of a deep disappointment settled upon us. So we had no alternative except that of preparing for direct action. 
But what kind of direct action would they take? Like you might expect them to chop them down. You might expect them to take to the streets as an angry mob with guns and knives and weapons ready to cut them down. You might expect them to attack the homes and cars of political leaders. You might expect them to firebomb storefronts and city buildings, eye for an eye, right? What direct direct action did they take to confront things like segregation, police brutality, the bombings of their own homes, their own churches, the deaths of their own people? What did they choose? Manure. They chose manure. Listen to Martin Luther King Jr., We had no alternative except that of preparing for direct action, whereby we would present our very bodies as a means of laying our case before the conscience of the local and national community. We decided to go through a process of self-purification. We started having workshops on nonviolence and repeatedly asked ourselves the question, are you able to accept blows without retaliating? Are you able to endure the ordeals of jail? In other words, are you willing to handle manure? They didn't choose chopping them down. They chose manure. They organized and executed peaceful, nonviolent sit-ins and marches. They endured beatings and false imprisonment. Sounds like manure to me. And because they were willing to handle manure, it changed the course of history in this nation. We all know about the civil rights movement. And now today we're learning that we didn't go far enough. We didn't deal with it strongly enough. Not enough of us got in on the game back then, and so now it's bubbling up again. We still have a problem of racism. We still have a problem of violence. We still have a gun problem. We still have a white nationalist problem. And so we here today have to stand up and speak out and do what we have to do in order to confront those ugly things in our reality today. But the ways in which we do what we have to do are just as important as what we have to do. We cannot choose, cut them down, chop them down, cut him off, cut her off. That's what we see modeled for us out there. It's not what we see modeled for us in here in the life of Jesus. That's not the Jesus way. We have to figure out how do we confront these big, bad, ugly things in a way that also embraces and loves those who disagree with us. Sounds like manure to me. Friends, manure isn't a quick fix. There are no immediate results. It takes a really, really long time to see if it makes a difference. If we want immediate results, what do we do? 
We chop it down. We clear the ground. We get it ready for a fresh start. Fertilizing, spreading manure isn't dramatic. It isn't easy. It isn't glamorous. It isn't fun. It's hard work. It's quiet. It's slow. Get that. Offering things like grace and mercy and forgiveness and embracing those with whom we disagree. Hmm. Working towards reconciliation so that together we can bear fruit. Man likes spreading manure. It isn't dramatic or glamorous or fun. Friends, our first reaction to things we don't like or people we may despise or action we see as immature and bearing no fruit, whether it's in here or whether it's out there, our first reaction ought to be grace, ought to be mercy, ought to be forgiveness. Leave it alone. Leave it alone for a year. Let's work some manure into the soil and uh, let's see what happens. A few days after Jesus told this little parable, he entered into Jerusalem. uh, And before the week was done, uh, he was dead on a cross. We know how it goes in Jerusalem. Pilate and Caiaphas agreed that Jesus had to go. He was a threat to the peace of the Roman Empire. He was a threat to religious establishment. He was taking up ground they needed for their own use. So they cut him down. They killed him. They hung him on a cross. And there, hanging on the cross, Jesus' first words were, Father, forgive them. Now, the way we have it translated in English makes it impossible for us to see, but let me explain it like this. The farmer's order to chop it down is echoed during Holy Week in the angry mobs chant, crucify him. And Jesus's prayer to the Father, forgive them, is a direct verbatim word for word repetition of the gardener's leave it alone. It's the same word. In the Greek, the word is aphes. In some contexts, it means hold on, wait a minute, leave it alone. In other contexts, it means forgive. So the violence intended for the fig tree, chop it down, was met with the gardener's Leave it alone. The violence inflicted in Jesus, right? The response is, Father, forgive them. Friends, we've all had way too much practice in chopping people down. Haven't we? Like we see it out there all the time modeled for us and it gets tiresome. And it gets us nowhere. And it just sucks. Let's just be honest about it. We've had way too much practice chopping people down verbally, physically, to their faces, behind their backs. It's going to happen again. Maybe later this afternoon, we're going to see it. Our defenses are going to go up. We want to become offensive in our retaliation. 
But maybe the next time it happens, this little story will dance in our brains. And we'll think to ourselves, leave it alone. Hold on a minute. How do I work some manure into this soil? How do I offer grace? How do I somehow bring the love of God in there? How do I somehow not other somebody else? How do I somehow embrace the one with whom I disagree? The one who has perhaps hurt me? How do we go about this in a way that might lead towards reconciliation and real change? It's not easy. It's not fun. It takes a really long time. There are no immediate results. It's not the way we would want to choose. It's not the way the world models for us, but it is the way of the cross. And it is the way of Jesus. So that means it has to be our way. It has to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for...